It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, remotely of course, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE community show and this show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us and that'll help others find the shows. My name is Kay Wenigal and today I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Bucknell. Hi Kay, hi listeners. Today we're talking to Chris Arnott, who is the new CEO of BZE. From the information we have so far, Chris is an entrepreneur with a background in water and natural resource management. He has founded and grown a number of successful consulting firms and is a thought leader in management and leadership. So let's find out more. Hi Chris. Hi Kay, hi Natalie. Thanks for joining our discussion on you. Great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Chris, BZE um, has an interesting background and started off in science and engineering, putting those sort of reports together to show how the nation can transition to zero carbon within 10 years in all these different fields. Tell us a bit about your background in terms of what you can bring to BZE in order to further its research and plans. Thanks, Kate. I was fortunate enough, I'm just in the middle of week three, and earlier on this week, I had the opportunity to join in the conversation for the 10-year celebration of our stationary energy plan. So right. it was lovely so early on to be part of something, yeah, to mark that sort of milestone. And I think when I look at that and, and obviously all of the work that flowed beyond, you know, with all those different sector-based plans, our regional-based plans, there's such a fantastic technical foundation and practical pathways for this transition that we need to make. And I guess blending that with my background around building teams and engaging with a whole range of stakeholders, whether they're government or private sector, yeah, I think we're really at this exciting point of inflection, if you like, not just for BZE, but for our energy systems and, and for the community. Well, it's interesting you say that because given that it is the 10-year anniversary, a lot has happened in the renewable space in that time, hasn't it? It really has. And as you would, both of you would be well aware, there's, there's so much exciting news coming out almost daily at the moment about things like you know the Sun Cable getting major project status, AEMO releasing their integrated systems plan, and even just the fundamentals of many of these projects. They're well and truly in the realm now where they're incredibly attractive to external investment. I was just listening to the Smart Energy Council's Zoom meeting with all the state energy ministers, and pretty much all of them said that the consumers want renewables. Everything they're doing, the work that they're doing now is working towards creating renewable energy in every single state in Australia. That was very exciting to hear. That's right. And I think that's some of the catch-up that's going on, isn't it? That due to the consumers often moving faster, there's a fair bit of work to go into ensure that the backbone of some of these systems is where it needs to be. I saw an article just recently in Renew Economy about the car sales for all car manufacturers in the first six months of 2020 and all of them 
went backwards significantly except for Tesla and their EV. So consumers are absolutely making the move and they're making it probably in, in many instances much more quickly than, than many expected. It looks on a lot of fronts like the technology and consumer sentiment or just general community sentiment, it's exactly where it needs to be. So what are the things that we need to help along the road with BZE's actions and activities? Yeah, well, that's absolutely where the focus needs to go, Nat. I think we, what we've sought to do is really take the opportunity that was presented through COVID, in particular with the Million Jobs Plan, and beyond the recent launch of that, to now work really rapidly and, and get a, a suite of projects in front of key decision makers, in, including the federal government, and to bring you know, these what they're describing as shovel-ready projects and get that transition and demonstrate that we can thrive through this transition. There's a desperate need for these jobs and to rebuild the economy. And what we're really showing is that yeah, that can be done with projects that are backing this, this trend that we're just talking about. So, Chris, going back to your role with the organisation, how can you help with this political lobbying or strategising that's required to help decision makers more aware of the thoughtful and comprehensive plans that BZE has developed? Look, I think, yeah, obviously I have a technical background in the environment sector. I've done a lot of work in the policy space, particularly around land restoration, land management, water management and so forth. There's also a really important piece around BZE and our maturity and ensuring that the team, we're set up the right structures and the right systems to deliver workload that, that is clearly there. And with that, that we're in good financial shape, we're managing our donor base and that we've got those all important structures and systems to get the work done. Chris, are you saying that the structures need to be put in place before the political lobbying starts or can that go hand in hand? Now, look, we've done an incredible amount on a small team and we've leveraged that through our volunteer base, as you well know. I think what's important as we look at the work in front of us is that our, both our strategy and our team are married up to the opportunity that's in front of us. And that's a lot of the experience that I've had in, in building teams over the years and building the companies that you mentioned in, in the opening. I know it's early days. Did you have any feel for how this is going to pan out? Do you have any sense of what areas need to be looked at and boosted? It is early days and we're right in the middle of those discussions. I wouldn't preempt, but I think the exciting thing, Kay, is that we've got a range of opportunities that go across all of those areas that we talked about in the Million Jobs Plan. So there's a range of projects that sit in energy generation, energy transmission, in building stock retrofits and so forth, and that they're spread around the country as well. So as you well know, the networks that we're able to bring through our initiatives like the Zero Carbon Communities means that we are able in a short period of time to engage with those regions and those communities and help to bring forward projects that have support, not just from the investors and potentially also from political avenue, but also the, the local communities. Chris, what ideas do you have about BZE's role and directions in the future outside of the Million Job Plan? Yeah, look, I think there's so many areas where we've got opportunities and I think the important bit for us, you know, if you look back 10 years ago when the work was done around the stationary energy plan, until that was done, you know, my understanding is a lot of people didn't think that was even possible. So I think it's important and incumbent on us to be bold, to really think, how do we paint the picture of what 
that future can look like for communities, for energy systems, for different industries, and ensure that we are still relatively small. So making sure that we're putting our efforts into the things that will have greatest impact. That includes clearly working closely with our volunteer base, but also the incredible network of partner organisations that, that are getting this job done. So lots of aspects for me to get up to speed on, lots of people to meet and relationships that have existed before me that I, I want to ensure continue. But it is the strategic question, where do we put our efforts? And I think some of that will be influenced by the likes of the reaction that we get from the engagement that we're currently underway with off the back of the Million Jobs Plan launch. But also you'll be aware that we're launching with the Fight for Planet A, the series on ABC TV coming out. So that will in itself create additional opportunities, additional communities that want to be part of the movement. Can you explain what BZE's role is in the launch of Planet A? There's, there's a partnership there. They're directed to a landing page, the Zero Carbon Communities landing page. And what we've got on that landing page is really a series of tools and guides for communities that want to come together and take action and create the connection to BZE, but also to use those tools and those guides to start making that transition locally. It is really amazing to see at the start of the last decade, 2010, BZE was on its own in fighting climate change. And now it seems as though many, many organisations, climate movements are coming together and supporting one another, you know, as a common action. And therefore, it's very exciting to see how BZE is now partnering with Fight for Planet A to promote that. Chris, given that your background is in land and water management, do you see gaps in BZE's approach so far or our society's approach to climate change that can be redressed by thinking about agriculture and land management? I guess compared with the energy piece now, it seems we have all the information we need to do that. It's just a matter of how and how quickly we go about it. But in terms of land management and agriculture, it seems like there's still gaps in our understanding. So is, is that something that's on your mind? It, it is. And I think there's a really important lesson in our own name, you know, which is obviously so clear about the outcome that we're seeking. A lot of the policy work that I've done, it's often the, the important challenge in that is to actually define what outcome are we really shooting for here? So the, the specificity, if you like, of a zero emissions sector or a zero emissions economy provides a fantastic amount of focus. I think we need to be bold around the time frame that we do that in, and there's plenty of evidence about getting that done much sooner than later. It's exciting to see all of the states and territories now signed on to a 2050 timeline. I think we can get it done sooner given some of the consumer shifts, some of the technology shifts, and some of the, the level of investment that's going into the space. But yeah, I think that important focus around what is the actual outcome that we're seeking to achieve in areas like land and water is everything. If you're clear about that and then you can bring the range of stakeholders along with that, then the rest of it falls into place much more easily. Chris, BZE, with its plans to date that I've been involved with, has engaged with landowners, unions, local community groups, as well as industry in order to get support for its plans. I'd imagine in the land and water area, a similar thing would have to occur, That, but you'd probably be able to identify different groups like farmers, perhaps? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think any good transition requires that starting point, Kay. You know, we're understanding who are all those stakeholders, what's their involvement. Yeah, I guess running a process that is infused with good data and good science, I think has always been something that I've always sought to do. And being transparent with those communities, those stakeholders about where these systems are transitioning. If you look at something like the Murray-Darling Basin, those local farmers, those local um, regionally based communities, they see this stuff day in, day out. And they also know that if you roll into town and you're not using good data or telling the truth, that they, they can spot it a mile away. Chris, this is probably a good point to have a look at your past experience. So you mentioned the Murray-Darling Basin. Would you like to give listeners a little bit of an idea of your background with that? Yeah, sure. Look, as I said, uh, I've had a background in the environment sector. I studied science many moons ago and actually did my honours research on the Murray, looking at the, the way the river is managed and the water releases out of Hume Dam up near Albury-Wodonga there. I then went into a lot of work around catchment management and land land restoration and then transitioned into the water space more specifically. And a lot of that work has sort of spanned the sort of small farm project scale right up to things as big as Murray-Darling Basin. I've also been fortunate to, to do a little bit of work internationally. I've worked on water issues in Iran and in Jordan. I've always enjoyed a, a quite a broad spectrum of technical work in that space. And you also have some entrepreneurial strings to your bow, don't you? Which I, I think that's an important thing for BZE supporters to be aware of in terms of the skills that you're bringing to the role. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. So about 25 years into my career now, and, and the first half of that was with mainly engineering firms that, that do that work in the, in the environment space. And then back in 2006, saw an opportunity with a few others to jump out and start my first firm, which is called Alluvium, still going, did a lot of advisory work in that water and, in, and landscape management space. We built that up over a number of years, and then I, I left in about mid-2011 and then started another firm with a couple of business partners in early 2012 called Aether, and we really specialised in the water policy advisory space and also doing advisory work around the Australian water market. So both on the policy side, as well as for people that were developing water trading strategies or buying and selling water on the market. And what was your ethos around establishing Aether? What were you setting out to achieve with that? Well, really what I've always sought to do, whether it's actually even been in the teams that I've led in, in other firms or in, in my own firms, has been just to do really good work. There's a huge opportunity and when you've done it a, a couple of times and been successful, there's often a sense that there's some sort of magic to it. But really all we ever did was to be really clear about what it was that we were doing. I think that's an important lesson I've, I've learned over the years and I'll bring into this role with BZE is to be really tightly focused about what it is that we're seeking to do and then to build a great culture. These things always take teams. There's a lot of hard work that goes between all of that. There is certainly at the heart of it ensuring that the stuff that we do is technically sound and well received and that's a really exciting aspect to stepping into the role here is that there is such an incredible body of technical work that we can leverage and I think one of the things I've thought about and, and talked with a few of the team early on is how we take that body of work and get 
greater awareness. Can we repackage it? Can we use it in different ways to speak to different audiences? I think there's a big opportunity for us without creating a huge volume of work that things like the stationary energy plan or million jobs requires. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to the new CEO of BZE, Chris Arnott. I think BZE had already started down that path in terms of trying to provide a summary of each of the reports, but hopefully you're looking at other opportunities, maybe on an educational front or, I'm not sure, video or YouTube sessions. It all sounds pretty exciting, the the possibilities. Absolutely. And I'm no expert in this space, Kay, in that, but we've all over the last, what is it now, nearly six months or so, become very familiar with all these different forms of meeting and connecting. And so space itself is evolving. I think the technology and the, and the ways in which we can communicate is constantly evolving and, and evolving quite rapidly. And it's uh, incumbent on us to think about how we're communicating, but also who we're communicating to. I think that's a piece I would like to understand more deeply is who is aware of us and who needs to be aware of us in order to get this wholesale change that we're all um, pushing for. BCD has been recognised internationally and won quite a number of awards. Do you see that it's well recognised within Australia as well as it is overseas? It's a, a really good question, Kay. I'm not well placed to answer it with data. I think I'd like to understand how well we are you know, sort of recognised and, and the, the work that's being done. I think certainly things like the sort of press that we were able to attract through the launch of the Million Jobs Plan and seizing the opportunity that was presented there and, and full credit to ATAN, our chair, and, and the team that brought that together in an incredibly short period of time. But if you look at those sorts of opportunities, I would be surprised if that wasn't, particularly when you look at things like Sky News and coverage in the Australian and so forth, they will will be getting us into audiences that I would expect would not be our traditional audiences from the early days. You just mentioned the launch of the BZE Million Jobs Plan, and it was so exciting to have Christiana Figueres on as well as Michael Cannon-Brooks amongst all the others. That, that was a real coup, I thought. Oh, absolutely. And it was an incredibly exciting milestone for BZD. Great to get the sort of coverage that we did and the reach when you've got people like Mike Cannon-Brooks, Christiana Figueres saying that they're part of this, then that really does start to get our work out there well beyond those traditional audiences. Speaking about the communications piece, what role do you see the radio programs playing in BZD going forward? Oh, I think they're an absolutely vital part of getting our message out there. Firstly, that pure awareness piece around who is BZE and, and the sorts of things that we're talking about. But as you'll, I'm sure, enjoy, you know, the the rise of the podcast has shown that radio and voice is such an incredible medium for communicating. It hasn't all become visual. It's such a transportable medium, whether you're driving or you're walking the dog or doing some housework. I think the radio and the voice aspects of what you produce can play a big part in communicating what we're up to and the sort of progress that we're making. Chris, going back to your past professional life, moving from natural resource management to BZE is somewhat of a departure from your previous trajectory. What's prompted that for you? Look, I think there's this absolute need for us to get this done and to get it done in this decade. And I'd love to play a role in ensuring that that happens. And I think my skills and experience 
can be brought to bear on a range of fronts. And I guess the other aspect is I love a challenge and it's definitely a new challenge. I've often put myself into slightly uncomfortable situations to sort of see if I can rise to that challenge. So look, there's a lot to learn, a lot to get across, a lot of new entities and acronyms, but I think it'll get done as a result of the great team that we've got. And that's, as I was saying earlier, that's, that's all I've ever done is really make sure that we're really clear about what we're trying to achieve as a team and get the sort of structure and support in around that team to, to get the job done. So drawn to the, the energy and the optimism of BZE too, I think is, is really quite infectious. And that came out in many, many stories that were shared on the, the celebration of the stationary energy plan on Monday night. Chris, I've got another left field question for you. The two companies that you started, one of them was called Alluvium and the other one is called Aether. And I can understand the name Alluvium, but can you explain where the word Aether comes from? Yes, in part in these days of starting businesses, it's part trying to find a good name and part what's available as a domain name. Okay, so it's one of the early elements of the Greek gods and that came from that genesis and it was available so and it was nice and short and a couple of names with company names that started with a i don't know whether you can read much into that i'm now in an organization that starts with b <laughs> moving through the alphabet <laughs> yes <laughs> well I, I love the ethos because not only do you think about the company names but you also think about the company structure and rather than focusing on profits you focus on individuals you focus on achievements and technical expertise and customer feedback and so forth, and also profit sharing, I understand, in one of the companies. Yeah, I think one of the things that we did in the relatively early days of Aether was to pursue the B Corp certification, which is, I'm not sure if you're aware of that, it's a certification, but it's a, a global movement that provides the ability, a little like fair trade coffee and the, the branding that that gives you to operate at the business level and to say across a whole range of areas where you're assessed by this third party that you are doing things for people, for planet and for profit. So we were a for-profit company and I think I've always sort of seen that division of for-profit and not-for-profit as a bit of a false framing to be honest. We are a non-profit BZD but we've, we've got to look at that carefully. You know, We might have to ensure that we've got the, you know, the revenue there to deliver on the work that we're seeking to do. So that's always been an area of strength for me. I love, I love spreadsheets, if you can believe that. But I think my framing has always been that let's be wildly successful and that way we can do more of the work that we need to do and we can pay our, pay our team well, can have the sorts of support around them that makes their jobs easier and in the external environment we can get more of that, that transition happening that we want to get done. That sounds wonderful and exciting and good to see you've got so much experience in that area. In terms of political lobbying, what can you bring to BZD in that area? Look, I wouldn't consider the things that I've done in the past as lobbying. I guess what, what I've always done is a little like my earlier comment about doing the good technical work. And I think the reason that we're getting the traction that we are in the discussions that we're having, and that includes big corporates and with the politicians, is because our work is technically sound, it's non-partisan, and it's providing a positive pathway through this crisis that we're in. You know, I think if you put those things in front of politicians, 
and you pair with it in many instances the really good foundational work that our teams have been able to do around the local communities, the decision is an easy one often for them. There are inevitable transitions that they know need to happen. And I guess the work that we're doing is trying to make, provide them with those positive pathways to transition. How do you actually get the information in front of the politicians? In succinct ways, Kay, yes. (laughs) So that's often the biggest challenge to take all of that detailed technical work and to boil it down into the things that are front and centre for them. So that's obviously in, in this environment, even under normal circumstances, things like jobs, things like benefit to the economy and dealing with some of the, the issues that they know they have to deal with as, as certain industries start to struggle with these long-run transitions. So we're right in the thick of that at the moment. The team's working hard on taking all of that long list and detailed project information and synthesising it down so that literally is, in many instances, a one-page per, per project or per region because really you don't get along with these individuals and you've got to make sure that the key points are are really jumping off the page for them. Chris, BZD is a small organisation with lots of work to do. Climate change work is very urgent and can consume 24 hours a day. What do you do to relax? I think that's spot on, Kay. We're doing really important work and the team works incredibly hard, but we've also got to make sure that we care for ourselves and for each other and so that's right up there for me part of this role and to make sure that we're here for the long haul and so I guess at a personal level I have two young girls that in their early high school years at the moment remote schooling like so many of us or all of us are now in Victoria so spending time with family I am a big bike rider but also just spending time in nature so we get the opportunity to get away it's usually things like doing bushwalks and so forth And just being out in nature and seeing the horizon is pretty rejuvenating for me. That's wonderful because I've just been so thrilled to hear so many people during this lockdown period say that they're starting to appreciate nature much more. They have the time just to sit back and smell the plants and watch the birds and just enjoy nature for its sake. The the local dog park is busier than I've ever seen it. So it's (laughs) nice to see people out there throwing frisbees, walking dogs, being out and about. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks so much for your time and explaining to our listeners what your history is and what your vision is for BZE so far. And we look forward to you talking to us again in six or 12 months' time and seeing where BZE sits. Thanks, Kay. Thanks, Natalie. And love the opportunity to come back and share with you and your listeners the progress that we're making and also take this opportunity to thank you both for the work that you do in getting our message and the stories out there. Really fantastic. Thanks, Chris. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZD website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.